Hello everybody. Sorry for the delay in the recent episodes. As you can hear, this episode is again read by our new narrator. If you're interested in helping the podcast, please head over to the show description and click the link to vote on your preferred narrator. Thank you for your patience and enjoy this episode of Pro Revenge. Reddit Readings, Episode 26 Tonight, only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift, the Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Streaming tonight, only on Disney+. Accidentally burned down my neighbor's fence and she tries to milk me for 10k. Judge humbles that ass up real quick. This sub has gotten me through a lot of boredom and has provided me with hours of entertainment. I figure it's my turn to tell my revenge story. So it's been about four years since this happened. I was about 18 at the time working for a security company. There were constant call-offs and no-shows, have no idea why. But being so young and naive, I was constantly working 16-hour shifts and not coming home until 8 a.m. Also, I lived with my father at the time. The time frame of this was around the 4th of July. I finally had a day off and my best friend was back in town for vacation. We decided to get together and chip in on some good old American fireworks. To be fair I have had nothing but bad experiences with fireworks so I had no idea how this would be any different. We got home with the fireworks and we laid them all out on the floor, sparklers, bottle rockets, cakes, and Roman candles. I say, why don't we mess around with some sparklers since it's still not dark yet? Great idea. We go into my backyard, where it hasn't rained in well over two months and it is extremely dry. You see the problem here? One of the little sparkies from mine and my friend's sparkler made contact with the ground, and made two small fires that quickly spread to a large area. I ran as fast as I could to grab the garden hose and quickly started spraying down the fire. It was no use, it was spreading faster than I could spray it. I handed my friend the hose and called 911. What felt like hours was only 4 minutes, and the fire was spreading to the neighbor's fence. The neighbor came outside and they were fairly calm to grab their hose and spray down the fence along with the dead grass in her yard. The fire department shows up finally and I tell my friend only one of us needs to get in trouble, you should leave. He was reluctant to leave because he felt equally responsible, but I convinced him, I didn't want him to get in trouble and have to drop out of college. My neighbor was super chill about the entire situation at first. I told her that we could talk about replacing the fence and get some quotes to repair it. She was just super grateful that everyone was okay. About two hours after the fire the arson slash fire investigator came to question me about the fire. I told him the quote unquote truth, I said I was in the backyard by myself playing with fireworks, and accidentally lit the ground on fire. I had gotten off that day without being hit by any charges, and was commended for being honest. Here is where it goes downhill very fast. About a week later, I get a knock on the door from the neighbor. I open the door and she handed me two pieces of paper for me to look at. There was a quote for the fence valued at around $4,000 and an estimate for lawn care valued around $6,000. These were really shady and just typed out on a Microsoft Word document, no logo or company name, she then adds, I will also be having you pay my water bill for three months because the new yard will need lots of water. Now the fence this woman had before was raggedy, and falling apart. Her yard? Dead grass, weeds everywhere, never mowed it. 
Now looking at this paper she wants a mahogany fence, and a brand new backyard with flowers and trimmed hedges? I said, I need to get an estimate myself, this doesn't feel right. She says, remember you agreed to replace my fence, and a real man keeps promises. I shut the door and called my dad to tell him about what just happened, he flipped the fuck out and told me, son, don't you give that slut a single dime. He gives me the number to his handyman and tells me to take care of it. The next day I had the guy come out for an estimate and the neighbor ran outside flailing her arms, I did not give you permission to get an estimate on my fence. Technically it separates the property line, so it's both of our fences. She calls the cops on me for having a contractor, and they ultimately can't do a single thing because I'm on my property. He quickly finishes the estimate off at $1,200. I also knew a guy who did lawn care, from my time working at the grocery store. He estimated the lawn receding while she was away from the house to be about $800. After I get these estimates I give copies to the woman and she is having none of it. I don't know these people I don't want them near my house, they're probably really shitty contractors. I said, no I know them personally, they are really nice people and do great work. She shut the door in my face and I went on my way. I ended up working a 16 hours shift that night and got home at 8am, and this woman comes knocking on my door at 9am and demanded I speak to her. I explained, I would really love to do this but I just got home and I have to be back at work in less than 5 hours. I need to sleep. She goes, what kind of lazy ass hat sleeps in until 2pm? At this point, I had about lost it, and told her, you can either accept my $2000 for my quotes or kiss my ass and get nothing. She stood there for a while with her mouth gaped open, but she accepted my offer and planned to meet down at the notary the next morning. I spent that night after I got off work, writing a contract and gathering the $2000 in cash. The next morning I wake up, and grab this contract to meet down at the notary. I was thrilled to finally be done with this broad, and never speak to her again. I waited for her for over 3 hours and she didn't show up. I get a call from her saying, I'm sorry $2000 isn't enough, I'm having my guys start work on this project, and you will be paying me the full price. Oh really? After that, I did not say a single word to her, and I watched for a few months as these guys turned her backyard into an oasis complete with a small pond, brand new sodden flowers, the whole nine yards. Come to find out she had plans to remodel these things for a long time, and was just waiting for the opportunity to go through with it. Also in this time, she used her remodel funds to go on a trip to Hawaii. Do you know how I found out about this? She was bragging about it on the neighborhood Facebook group, and didn't know I was in it. I have a different Facebook name than my real name. Are you ready for the revenge? Now four months after the fire and all the remodels, I get served papers to go to court for $10,300. At 18 years old I'm having to hire a lawyer to work my case. When we finally do get into court I lay everything out. The quotes, being harassed multiple times, not showing up after agreeing to a deal, not wanting me to get my own quotes, required by law by the way, and her bragging about screwing me out of money and, I have proof of all of this. The judge looked at her and said, Ma'am with all due respect you're out of your damn mind. Not only did this young man tell the truth of what happened, but he also offered to pay you more than he was supposed to. Your lawn was already dead before the fire occurred, therefore, he is only responsible for the fence of $1,200. I will also deduct from this his lawyer fees, $800. So I burn this woman's fence down and all I'm having to give her is $400? Cool. She took a huge financial loss from this. Not sure how much the Hawaii trip cost her, but she was in serious debt. She ended up having to sell the house because of it and moved into a smaller house. Haven't heard anything from her since. 
killed a tow company with one simple phone call. I killed an entire tow company with one phone call. Several years back I went to work for a towing company. It's about all I know how to do other than paint cars which is drastically affecting my health. The pay was pretty decent, but we had to share trucks and the boss felt that he knew where we needed to sit in order to get the best calls. This is important for later. Several months in, I realized that I was not making the type of money that I should be making. So I took the opportunity while I was sitting in a parking lot one evening to start researching the laws pertaining to employees in similar positions. He was kind of an asshole and the trucks had transponders so that he could see if we had them idling with the air conditioner on in a hot day, or idling with the heat on a cold day. He was always calling complaining about something if the wheels were not turning. During my research, I discovered that if he was requiring us to sit in a certain parking lot, street, or any location of his choosing, then we were entitled to be paid an hourly wage not just our commission. The technical term was, engaged to wait, however, if he allowed us to freely roam about while we waited for calls, we were not entitled to hourly wages and we were therefore considered, waiting to be engaged. I never mentioned this to him, but I did start taking note of my time. Another month or so goes by and he decided to start coming down on me for tiny little BS, things that ordinarily wouldn't even matter, such as I forgot a popkin in the cup holder. He actually had a screaming fit about that. At this point, I was tired of working there and had already found another job so I decided it was time to put my plan into motion. I called him up, told him that we needed to have a conversation about my final wages and that we could meet at his convenience. Upon entering the office I laid out my argument, explained the state law, and told him I expected to be paid for the hours that I was on the clock but not freely allowed to roam looking for work or able to do things of my choosing. He told me in no uncertain terms would not be paid for the time, as that was agreed to upon my employment. I did not bother to argue, as I already had my next step planned, so I took my final check and I left. The following Monday, I made a phone call to the state labor board, where I laid out my case to them. Needless to say, they were very interested in what was going on. In the end, they came to review his employment records and speak to the driver still working. When he got the bill of what he had to pay us all. It was too much for him to afford, so he sold the trucks, his boat, and lot and went out of business. I never got the money owed to me in full, only a fraction. But the satisfaction of knowing the law just a little bit better than he did, and watching it all burn was pure bliss. Terminated me while on medical leave, put them on permanent leave. So first, your typical backstory. I was an employee at a well-known breakfast chain, particularly popular for their wide selection of pancakes for nearly three years. I was decently well-liked among the employees, and had a very good friend who had just been promoted to a shift manager by the former general manager, who was a really great guy that unfortunately got transferred to a different store against his wishes. He was replaced by a horrible, power-hungry shift manager that no one cared for. So a typical work week for me was six days a week, between 60 to 70 hours a week, with Tuesdays being my only day off. My shifts ranged from 8 hours to as much as an 18-hour double shift, important later. I worked this schedule without complaint for years of my life. Unfortunately on September 10th, I fell very ill while at work with no known cause. This was accompanied by very severe, stabbing pain in my lower right abdomen. I called the general manager, it was about 12 a.m. at this point, and informed her I planned on leaving to go to the ER, to which she told me if I left, then I would be fired. Now at the time, I really needed this job so not wanting to be fired, I decided to work through my shift. I had two hours remaining, but it was hell to work through. Finally, 2 a.m. rolled around and I immediately left to drive to the hospital. Upon arrival, 
I was admitted almost immediately into the hospital due to scan results showing an inflamed appendix. I called the general manager, and let her know that I was being admitted to the hospital, and would keep her updated. Her response? If you're going to try to get out of work, can you at least find someone to cover your shift in the morning? Some people, note at this point, it was around 3.30 a.m., my next shift that she wanted me to cover, was at 8 a.m. the next morning. A few hours later, I was notified that I needed an appendectomy, and it would be scheduled for the following morning. I agreed, signed the release, and called up my manager to notify her. I told her that I would be out of work for at least a few days, but after surgery, I'd let her know. It is important to know that I kept her informed throughout my entire absence. I even sent her a picture of myself laying in a hospital bed after multiple accusations of faking, I still have the texts if anyone is interested, so surgery went smoothly, however they found that I had a gangrene infection in my appendix that appeared to have spread. Due to complications involving this, my hospital stay ended up being two full weeks. I was discharged at noon, and drove to work almost immediately after discharge to inform them I was out of the hospital and cleared to come back, as well as turn in the hospital note, proving I was there. To my surprise, the regional manager is there. I walk in and find both the regional and the general manager at the front counter having a conversation. I slide the note towards them on the desk, and inform them that I was cleared to come back to work. The general manager looked at me in utter disbelief. Excuse me? You've already been terminated for no call no showing for two weeks. I reminded her that I did, in fact, keep her informed, and had proof. She cut me off, and with an annoyed tone, said that she'd give me another chance. I came back in that night for my shift, luckily working with my friend the shift manager. I was also training a guy I had never seen before, not uncommon, as I was a floor supervisor slash trainer, my friend later called me into the office, and that's when I learned that I was only rehired so that I couldn't file a wrongful termination suit, and said that the person I was currently training was my replacement. The general manager had plans to fire me the next morning. As shocked as I was, we immediately hatched a plan. So this restaurant was dirty. Huge roaches infesting the kitchen and dining room, black mold, rotten food mixed with fresh food, water leaks so bad the carpet in the dining room is literally decaying, you name it. We have reported these issues to the general manager multiple times, but nothing ever happened. My friend sent the trainee home, with the excuse that our labor was too high, and I spent the remainder of my shift taking pictures of every continuous health code violation I seen. I went as far as cooking orders just so I could get pictures of the grills and kitchen areas without suspicion from other employees. Finally, the next morning rolled around. I woke up to a call from the general manager. Sure enough, she demanded that I turn my uniform in because I was being terminated immediately. I drove up there and asked for the reason behind my termination, and she replied that I was a lazy worker who always complained that they had hours. Please remember, I averaged about 64 hours a week, and never complained. Not in the mood to argue. I simply turned in my uniform, and left. But that's not the end of my plan. I was one of the only food safety permitted employees. I had just renewed my permit, so all of the information in the class was fresh on my mind. I also distinctly remember the health inspector teaching the class stated that if we wanted to report our workplace, just come in, ask for him, and bring evidence. I went straight to the health department, asked to speak with him, and supplied seven written paragraphs of every violation as well as all of the pictures I had taken to back my claim up. He informed me that with the picture evidence, it would be hard for the restaurant to fight. He also informed me he would follow up with a surprise inspection the next morning. The next morning, I woke up, and found messages from my general manager, calling me a snitch and a griner, whiner. 
Luckily, my friend recorded the entire inspection of the office. Due to how recent this story is, I will not be releasing it due to it showing faces as well as names being mentioned, but it was beautiful, and it showed who the true whiner was in this situation. The regional manager was slapped with a hefty $7,000 fine for allowing unpermitted employees to work, and the restaurant was ordered to shut down operations to clean, however, being a barely profitable franchise, the franchisee, who owned many other locations, closed it down and ran off. Now as much as I wanted to feel bad for the people left without work, I don't, and for the decent employees, the story actually has somewhat of a happy ending, as many have moved on to better things. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there. Had my half-brother removed from the will, after he stole money from our father with Alzheimer's. Shortly after my father was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, my formerly estranged half-brother quit his job and moved in to help take care of my dad. Though there really wasn't enough money, it was agreed to pay him around $300 a week to make up for his missing income. During this time, my half-brother abruptly acquired the durable power of attorney and usurped medical and financial, my mother and father had separate financial lives, decisions. Several documents relating to my dad's pension, which were now my half-brother's responsibility, were not turned in on time, resulting in my dad missing out on a one-time payout of $8,000 and lowering his pension payout by $300 a month. My half-brother then cleaned out my dad's remaining savings, about $3,000, not discover until about a month later. Six days later, our father hung himself in the basement. My dad left all of his insurance money, and belongings to my mother. Us children were left with only sentimental items. My half-brother was visibly upset and shaking when the will was read. He acknowledged that my mother was receiving everything and left. About a month later we discovered the missing money. Though he broke no laws because he had power of attorney, we insisted he pay it back, even offered to let him make payments over a two-year period. He refused and we have been no contact for two years now. Little did he know that he was in my mom's, his stepmother's, will. He would receive half of what is currently a $250,000 estate. I suggested to my mother that she remove him from the will. She did and I am now the sole beneficiary. He stole $3,000 now, only to lose out on $125,000 later. Superintendent doesn't like to delay or cancel school, no matter how bad the conditions. 
This comes back to end her career. This is my sister's story, but I will tell it in the first person for clarity's sake. I have her permission to post it here. Both my children attended elementary school in the northern Midwest. As you can imagine, it snowed. A lot. Even with all the snow removal infrastructure, when a particularly heavy storm came along, the town just couldn't keep up with it, and the buses couldn't run. For decades, the school district dealt with this by having five snow days built into the calendar. If they had more than five snow days, the kids would go an extra day at the end of the year. For years, this system worked, and no one ever complained, except the occasional child that had to attend a couple of extra days in June. Well, all good things must eventually come to an end. The old, mild-mannered super retired. A new super took his place. She was young, aggressive, and almost immediately reviled by everyone in the district. Let's call her Sue, because that's what we ultimately did to her. Sue came right out of corporate America. I don't know how she got it in her head that she wanted to run a school district, but she did. She was so inexperienced that the school board had to give her a waiver to work in our district before she could even show up for work. When the year started, Sue went on a power trip that made everyone's heads spin. She slashed hours for support staff. Barred children from repeating a grade without her personal approval. Cracked down on teachers taking sick time, until the union pointed out that she was violating the CBA by doing that. Backed off a little, but vowed to quote-unquote go after any staff taking sick time. Stopped the weekly trip to the fitness center by the special needs class. She was like a cartoon villain. But what's important to this story she ended the decades-old snow day system. Took the days right out of the calendar and said we wouldn't be needing them, as she was cracking down on snow days. Here's how snow days work, the transportation department keeps an eye on the roads. If they are unsafe, or even if they are safe but the forecast is looking crazy for later, they tell the super they can't safely run the buses. The super then cancels school. It's really supposed to be the transportation department's call. Well. Sue decided that she is the sole arbiter of deciding cancellations, so even if transportation says it's not safe to run the buses, she can say tough shit. Which she did. Often. As you can imagine, this led to a lot of awkward and even dangerous situations. Buses not being able to access rural roads. Buses running an hour late. Buses running their entire route completely empty because no sane parent would send their kids to school in a whiteout blizzard. For two years we parents tolerated this dumb fuckery. But needless to say, we were frustrated. We tried going through the proper channels. Contacting the transportation department, writing to the school board. We even wrote a collective letter to Sue personally. Who, if the rumor is true, spit on our letter and tossed it in the bin. Though we did get a nice message on the school department website about how they are always thinking about the safety of the students, so that's nice I guess. Things finally boiled over the winter of that second year. A bus went off the road. Though my kids were not on it, it shook me up. There were numerous complaints on the school's Facebook from scared and disgruntled parents. Two years of being the only district open in the county during storms were getting on everyone's nerves. My sister-in-law is a criminal defense attorney. I am a disability advocate with a state agency, so while I'm not an expert on the law like my sister-in-law, I tend to know my way around. We met for dinner and decided that, if and when the inevitable tragedy happened, we would sue. We met a couple more times to work on our game plan. You can't sue a school district for making dumb snow day decisions, but if a kid gets hurt. The day finally came in the late autumn of the third year of Sue. We had a big storm roll through in the early morning hours. Not cold enough to snow or freeze, thankfully, but extremely windy. Most of the county lost power, including the schools. 
Thousands of outages. Power lines down, trees down, roads closed. It was a mess. All the districts in the county closed. All of course, except ours. Sue was never one to turn down a chance at a power trip. She ordered the schools to stay open. It was a disaster. Buses couldn't access every road to pick up students. Buses were late. Individual schools were putting out bulletins that attendance was parents' choice, students unable to make it to school would receive a principal's excused absence, stay home if it's the safer choice. Bear in mind that all the schools were running on generators. So the high schoolers, who start an hour earlier, were sitting in the gymnasium board. There was literally no point in having school this day. Then, the inevitable happened a tree fell and hit a bus. And this time, my daughter was on it. Thankfully, the driver did a good job of evacuating the children and there were only minor injuries. But injuries nonetheless all because of Sue's absurd no-cancellation policy. Some ambulances showed up. Four kids went to the hospital as a precaution. It made the news. It was time. The district sent forms to all of the parents of injured children. They would cover all medical costs and provide counseling for the kids in the guidance office, and a small cash settlement, in exchange for the parents signing a release of liability, you can't sue us. But my sister-in-law and I had gotten to the parents first and advised them not to sign anything, as we were taking the district to big boy court. Some of the parents did take the settlement offered, which is understandable since not everyone likes drama. But some didn't. Some told the district right where to shove that settlement. I was one of them. Sister-in-law and I got together with a couple of the injured parents that were sick of the district's nonsense. We got our paperwork in a row and filed a suit. We filed the suit so fast that our hands burst into flames. The essence of the suit was that the district had failed their duty of in loco parentis by making unsafe transportation decisions, directly causing the crash and injuries. My sister-in-law also pulled some strings at the local newspaper and got our lawsuit a small spot on the front page. Parents came out of the woodwork to express their support. They were frustrated after years of Sue's authoritarianism. It turned into a small media circus, and I'm sure some Redditor will Google this and find something. Well, the district's lawyers got to work and quickly really that this was going to be a mess. A discovery process pulling up dirt, the parents of the injured children testifying, the general hatred of the district. Not to mention it appeared that they would, indeed, lose. They moved to quickly and quietly settle this case. They basically sat down with us and said, name your price. And while I cannot discuss the details of the settlement, let's just say that all injured parties were made whole. Also, the district changed their cancellation policy immediately. Now, if there was even a hint of snow or icy weather, they cancelled. A welcome change of pace. As for Sue, she became very quiet. She used to spend all day sending aggressive emails about her policies. Now, hardly a peep. All she did the rest of the year was fill the seat. As summer approached at the end of the year, Sue announced her resignation. She was leaving to, pursue other interests. We think she was asked to resign. She was replaced by a superintendent who was much nicer. He rolled back all of Sue's power trippy policies. Racist boss harassed Puerto Rican employees and broke labor laws. Ended up getting deported. I worked at a fairly well-known restaurant in a small, northern New England city as an assistant manager. The owners were very successful restaurateurs with several successful, non-chain, establishments, and spent maybe a day or two a month in our location. The rest of the time there was a general manager in charge. We'll call her Jan. Jen was about as type A as they come. She was a middle-aged woman, but beautiful and petite and she always looked put together and primped. 
Jen had started with the owners a decade earlier in their first restaurant as a server and had worked her way up to general manager over the years. At first I just thought she had extremely high standards which I respected. I have high standards as well and take pride in my work. I had been impressed by how the kitchens were spotless, the staff was immaculate, like run a white gloved hand under the back of the oven and it comes back white kind of clean, and the food was always top quality. I had frequently been a customer and was thrilled that I got the job there. I had been in the business for a decade and that restaurant was the place in our area. I was so excited. Unfortunately I quickly learned why everything is so shining and perfect. Jen was a tyrant. She was the kind of boss who soured the mood of the entire staff like a storm cloud hovering over us that never went away. Nothing was ever good enough and the standards changed from day to day. On a good day, she would shut herself up in the office and then leave early. Good days were very rare and could turn into bad days at the drop of a dime. On bad days you couldn't be perfect enough and she would come up with new rules and regulations just to punish people. If a host called out sick, they were literal children, she would berate them on the phone and make them cry. If a cook made a mistake on a plate, she would humiliate them in front of the staff, accuse them of doing it on purpose and then give us all the silent treatment for hours after, seriously. If someone's cash out was off, even by a few cents, she would accuse them of theft and force me to cut down their hours. As a fellow manager, I was mostly spared her awful behavior, though I had to hear about her treatment from my staff almost every day. All of this was just run-of-the-mill bad boss stuff until it came time for our yearly staff evaluation meetings. This is where Raul enters the story. Raul was a hard-working dishwasher, who had moved to our state from Puerto Rico a few years earlier and spoke English with some difficulty. Whenever I had to go over anything official with him, we would have a co-worker translate between us to be sure we were both communicating clearly. Jen refused this courtesy to Raul. This made his evaluation pretty difficult. Raul managed to communicate to us that due to recent cuts in his hours, he would be forced to get a second job to pay the bills. Something about this absolutely set Jen off. She told him she would fire him if he dared. I could see plainly on the intake paperwork in front of me that Raul had been hired with the understanding that it would be a full-time position, so I pointed that out. Jen was furious, but agreed through gritted teeth that if Raul agreed not to get a second job, she would bump his hours up to at least 35 hours a week. It was stated as clear as day and I documented it in my daily manager logbook. Work went on as usual after that and I didn't think much of this meeting again for a few months. Another time a while later, while filing out information for tax returns, Jen called me into the office. I could tell she had pulled the tiny room apart looking for something. All the information about our Puerto Rican employees is gone, she told me with a mixture of panic and suspicion. I looked at the files in question and they all seemed to be in order, so I was confused and told her I couldn't help. A few minutes later I walked back in the office to find her arguing with Rosa, our most talented chef and a Puerto Rican native. Rosa was perfectly fluent in English. No Rosa. Jen was speaking to Rosa as though she were hard of hearing or mentally slow. Where? Is. Your. Green. Card? What are you talking about? Rosa was confused. Are you an illegal or something? Is that why one of you broke in here? To hide the proof? Jen wasn't yelling but her eyes were cold and flashing with rage. What? Rosa was starting to get angry now. It suddenly clicked for me, so I interrupted. January. Ah. Uh, you do realize that Puerto Rico is a United States territory, right? Of course I know that, Jen snapped back. Okay, so you know that Rosa has a social security number like any other American native. Oh. Right. Never mind Rosa, you can go back to work. Jen did not apologize for accusing Rosa of theft. 
I was so done with this place after that. Jen did all kinds of little things like that and she never apologized. I had already gotten a job offer for a place closer to my house when the final straw came. I was the closing manager one day and got in just before the dinner rush to see Raul storming out the back door. He didn't speak much English, but his fucking bitch was very clear. Jen had lied about raising his hours to 35 per week, so Raul had gotten the second job he talked about. When Jan found out, she fired him, but not before saying something about how all you illegals are the same. She was really fixated on these American citizens being illegal aliens for some reason. By this point, I fucking hated this woman too. She once told me my clothing made me look poor in front of the whole staff. I was wearing what she made me wear. Meanwhile she wore open-toed shoes behind the line which is against the health codes, and once her fake nail fell off into the coleslaw and she wouldn't let anyone toss it out after she retrieved it. This is just the tip of the iceberg, but I have a life to live. Since I knew I would be leaving soon anyway, I told Raul he should go after our boss for wrongful termination since I had documented proof, with Jan's signature, that he had been promised more hours and that Jan had broken the agreement, not Raul. The last time I saw Jan was on my way out of Raul's lawyer's office after giving a deposition about several labor laws she had violated. At least the ones that I knew about. Apparently there were many others she had broken in front of other employees. She couldn't even look me in the eye. The best part? At my deposition I learned that Jan was actually the one who was illegally in the country. Her green card had recently expired. She was Canadian. She ended up being sent back to Canada as a result of this case and no one has heard from her since. Raul was granted six months of unemployment pay, plus the restaurant had to pay his legal fees. They closed that location not long after. Maybe they should hire their managers more carefully next time? Jan, if you're reading this, I hope you got your shit together. I also hope you learn to wear closed toe shoes behind the line. You wouldn't want to end up a huge, gigantic fuck-up due to your own negligence, now would you? Thanks for listening to Reddit Readings Episode 26. And if you enjoyed it, consider subscribing and leaving a rating. Do you enjoy science, spooky stories, and all things paranormal? We do too. While we would love for most paranormal stories to be true, we are here to tell you that they probably aren't. But that doesn't make them any less fun to speculate about. We are the Spooky Science Sisters podcast. In this podcast, we bring you bi-weekly discussions on possible scientific explanations behind the supernatural. Backed up by research articles and other credible sources, we do deep dives into things like archaeology and physics and share in-depth discussions with topic experts. Visit us at SpookySciencesisters.com to listen to a couple of skeptics debunk some of your favorite alien encounters, cryptid sightings, and ghost stories with science, sass, and a significant amount of laughter. Thank you and stay spooky.